Welcome to the pod, everyone. A shout out to SGS. Hey, Rusty, why are we uh, partnering with SGS? Uh, uh, some, some, some good people there. Pretty excited about their sports coaching courses and sports courses. Keen to make them industry ready so when people leave, they're able to go and transfer it to any kind of industries, coaching, teaching, being an analyst, business, whatever it might be. So I think, uh, yeah, I think it's pretty exciting times, really. So what's so special about their degree courses that others wouldn't be doing? I think it'll be lots of uh, real good partnerships, uh, opportunities for people to, to get into different contexts and learn and practice. It'll be, feel very applied. People will be stretched and supported and will leave you know, ready to just go and thrive in the uh, big old world out there. SGS College is the home of Bristol's higher education sports programmes. The programmes are designed to develop unique, innovative and creative sports practitioners ready for industry. Do you want to be a coach or teacher of the future? Start your journey here at SGS College and become more than just a graduate. Visit sgscol.ac.uk to apply now. Cool, live on the pod, uh, Paul McGuinness after numerous technical errors. Uh, How are you, mate? You well? I'm great. Yeah, good to speak to you. It's just great to connect and chat to people about sport, football, everything. Yeah, nice. Yeah, we were just we were just saying then, like it's uh, lockdown's tough for people like me and you who quite like being near pitches and other people, and we're probably getting less of that than uh, than we're used to. Yeah, I think you know it's all about connections for me. Connections on the field. How good are your connections between your players and and everybody, the staff, and then you know off the field the same. Um, that that I think is a human thing. You you need that connection, that bit of fun, and um, yeah, especially with people who are on the same wavelength. Yeah. Nice, cool. Well, <laughs> should, we get, should we get going? Do you want to kind of yes. what's the Paul McGuinness story so far? So what's brought you to this this point in your life? Uh, well, when I start off, it's always a long story to hear my dad, but my dad was um, a Busby Bay, played with Bobby Charlton, he played uh, for Manchester United, he played for England, broke his leg at 22, he was England youth coach, 25, helped with the World Cup squad with Alf Ramsey as one of the coaches, manager of Man United, 30-odd, all through football in his life, so I sort of followed in his footsteps um, I did play for Man United's reserves on a couple of during a couple of periods uh, in the 80s and uh, early 90s um, with uh, Ron Atkinson and and, um, and then Sir Alex and Sir Alex gave me a job um, at Man United in my early 20s and made me the academy. Well, in then it was a centre of excellence director, uh, so I was coaching kids from 18 up to up to 16, and then later. I was the under-18 coach for a number of years. And uh, more recently, I've been a coach educator, senior coach educator at uh, the FA. Nice, mate. Lots of lots of stuff done. What's your, when you talk about that and a quick summary of your life, what's the, yeah. what's the one or two moments that stand out for you and remind you of uh, why you love what you're doing? Um, well, I suppose you... Th- you know, how did I fall in love with football? Just my dad kicking a ball with me. I remember very clearly, it must have been about four years of age, him kicking a ball and it bending it. And I, I, I remember going, wow, how did you do that? And he said, well, if you just turn to the side and put your foot around this side and hit it more on the side than in the middle, it'll bend. And I was like, wow. And that set me off. You know, I was, I was in love with football thereafter and, and you know, carried on. So that was, a, 
that was a key thing. Lots of things with my dad playing, playing on the fields with him. He was, um, he was a coach, a player, and so on. But he was full of, I call it the spirit of football, fun and uh, tricks. And uh, he used to do a thing. We go on the backfield and play kick about. He he put balls in for me. I do overhead kicks and volleys and headers. And he had this trick: an overhead handstand back heel. So he'd hit it directly at his head. He'd dive forward and do a scissor kick behind him and like hit it with his heel, um, which was sort of amazing. Um, and he was always doing things different. You know, don't be ordinary. Um, had me practicing shooting from the halfway line like Pele had done in the 70 World Cup. And um, eventually I scored with one from the kickoff. So, you know, great, great times with him sort of growing up, yeah. Nice. I remember lots of my youth trying to do scissor kicks and overhead kicks and even like drawing goals that I'd scored or stuff <clears> on pieces of paper. It was, uh, I assumed I was going to play for Man United as well, mate, but I never did. So, uh at uh, sad times. So, wh- where are you now? I mean, what's the what's your view of coaching at the moment? Where um, let's get into the kind of the exciting yeah. stuff. And and I guess it sounds like, and I'm I'm definitely curious. Like, what's been your evolution? So, what's been the chapters in your coaching book? Were you the stuff you're thinking about now? Was that stuff you were thinking about a long time ago? And you just kind of sounds like you've had a bit of time recently to bring some of it to life and. Uh, story tell a bit around it and to theme it or, yeah. or, or would you look back on chapter one and go oh yeah I was a bit different back then well I think you change you change as you go along your emphasis and who surround you and so on but I suppose growing up with the dad I did ended up going to Manchester United and so on uh, and the people around you and um, the, the coaches you, you're influenced by skill was always king skill is king you know um, so I had uh, Eric Harrison who was the um, youth team coach for the class of 92, but he was my coach before then. And one of the key things he did with us was um, uh, he always said, awareness, look over your shoulder before the ball comes. And he had a routine every morning, uh, you know, it was repetitive. You'd do it, you would be playing, uh, just no no opposition, but you'd pass to me. But before you passed, I had to have a look behind me. Then I would signal to you where I wanted the ball. I'd maybe come off quickly and you had to pay a, play a really nice pass. And But as it because you played a nice smooth pass, it meant I could have another look as as the ball was on the way, and then we would have to receive it in different ways. Um, now a lot of people had said, you know, after that, oh, you, but there was no opposition there. But you were getting the first bits of um, awareness and 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 really looking around. And when people say to me, you know, well, yeah, but when are you going to bring that in? I always go back to the thing of, well, when did your mom and dad teach you to cross the road and look both ways? Well, as soon as you could walk, because it was dangerous. And really in football or, or all these major sports, ball sports, if you don't look behind you, you don't get a, a picture of what's coming next opportunity. So he drummed that into you. Quite often the next thing you'd do would have silent football so that you couldn't get any anybody saying man on or anything like that. If you got caught in possession, and he would say, well, it's your fault. You didn't have a look. And he'd tell you a bit harder than that, to be honest. He, was, he made sure you knew, just like your parents would do, you know, come on. When you're crossing the road, look both ways. And he would he would be urgent because I think that's an urgent thing for everybody to know. It's a fundamental skill that I found isn't really being stressed enough, maybe on courses and so on. So it's one of the things I've tried to bring attention to recently um, as part of uh, a drive to get attention on individual tactics. Yeah. 
Nice. Well, I'm I'm agreeing with lots. I'm nodding profusely. Yeah. Love a love a bit of silent rugby. You definitely start scanning a bit more. Definitely think that drawing attention, to scanning, and what you're looking for is critical hours. When you use the word skill, what do you mean? So, what are you thinking about when you say skill? Are you talking about on ball, off ball, bit of both? Both, yeah, bit, bit of both. I mean, yeah, as you say, this job I came in maybe three years ago, all new, been at Manchester United for so many years, just coaching. Then you're looking at coaching coaches. And I must say it's a very difficult job, you know, because everybody's had a different background. But I was I was watching and listening, and I think there has been a rise in the last few years um, because of TV, because of the success of you know top coaches like Guardiola and Klopp and ba- uh, Bielsa and, you know, some of the English guys who've risen up. Now the Premier League, all the focus with all the TV uh, and online that people are looking at tactics and young coaches are thinking that's the way forward for me. Quite rightly, you've got to be good at it. But we was finding that they were concentrating on tactics, but quite often the players really were left behind in terms of individual tactics and skills. Um, so they need the shape of the team, the structure, but how do the individuals combine within the structure? Uh, and that's sort of been my focus in the last couple of years to try and uh, put attention on that with a few themes, yeah. Nice. And resonating again with rugby, we've become a little bit obsessed with one three three one two four two formations that <clears throat> copied from elsewhere. We're often coaching irrespective of what's in front of us and and, it, and it's not that individualised. So if, 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 if Paul's in this position, it might be very different to... If Rusty's in this position, you look much more athletic than me, so you could probably, you know, skin someone on the outside. I might do something different. And mm-hmm. I guess that's that's what you're talking about, having like this ability to coach tactically, but also develop individuals within that. And I guess, and you said, you said that's a very difficult job, supporting coaches. Why is this tough for coaches to do? So let's kind of get out of the way, like, this isn't necessarily easy to do, would be my view. Yeah, and it, it, it all depends on your emphasis, I think, when you're younger. You know, my dad was always like, let's get technically good. He, would, he could do so many things. We go on the field and practice them. Every step along the way, uh, I've had people who are looking at technical stuff. Um, you'll, you'll Like this one, I think, Rusty, one of the best coaches I ever experienced was a guy called Jim Greenwood who was the rugby coach at Loughborough when I was doing the PE course there. And one of the things we had um, was in your first year, everybody on the course, you could take football or rugby. So all the rugby players took rugby and everybody else did football because nobody wanted to do rugby with the rugby (laughs) players, obviously. So so we all did football. But in the football group, you you had the basketball players, the volleyball players, the athletes, the gymnasts, the swimmers, all that. So in the second year, you switched and you did, um, you did rugby. So here we are, complete novices. I, I had played a bit of rugby up until about 15 when I was at school, but there's some of them never played rugby before. And now we've got this world-class coach taking us for rugby. And of course, he's got to teach us some tactics. But before that, we had to teach us some skills because, you know, what they're all saying is, you know, what's tactically feasible has to be technically possible. And he's starting with novices. And um, he had to start, as obviously, as well, with the idea of, of aggression. So, so he started, I can remember it was in a, in a wooden floor gym. Um, it, they were like jewels, individual jewels for 
thought, well, to get you at it, really, you know, it was the old uh, hold, hold hands and slap faces, and then it was slap the legs, and then it was slap the chest, and then it was hand, press up position and pull their arm away on a wooden floor. You know, so their elbows are going, all these different ones. But within half an hour, he's got all these amateurs, you know, wrestling with each other on the floor and so on. And then he started with the skills. And I remember it very clearly the way he broke it down to do a spin pass. You know, you had the ball in your hand, you just rolled it off your fingertips across. You, you had to get your backswing and you, and you follow through in line across to the next guy and you'd spin it sideways. And then you had to take a step into it. And then the last bit, we said, well, you really, it's a one-handed pass. You just put your other hand there to help you now spin it. Wow, he taught, he taught these swimmers, these gymnasts never caught a ball in their life and they're all playing rugby. And he, he was just an amazing guy, uh, got us to play. And what we did, all the, all the sort of mixed sports ended up with a three-game uh, scenario playing the rugby players. But the rugby players all played out positions. So you had the prop on the wing and the, and the, and the, the winger at prop. And, and, of course, they knew how to play. But we had, like, we had a lad called Ecom Billy, who's the 800-metre champion on the wing against the prop. And we could kick it. And we, <laughs> so it was great stuff. It was fantastic. But there's an example of, like, skills. You've got to have skills and, and, and a model for skills. So that helped me in my coaching, thinking about and reading his books. Jim's books are great. Think rugby, total rugby as an idea of a model and then yeah getting onto it and so i yeah i followed that through all my career with the different players we had um at united um but this latest sort of individual tactics started more a, a little bit of a model for it was marcus rashford who you know he was in my group started came in my group at 16 uh, full-time and then he wasn't strong enough to do enough runs behind the defence till he was about 17, coming up to 18. He had all the skills to come and get the ball and dribble, but we wanted him to run off the ball. So we started in the centre circle uh, with a passive defender, and we just started to get eye contact with the passer, and then he did different runs into the space, either opening up. If the defender came close to him, then he'd run to the opposite side. And we started uh, like a, a checklist of of where you could run. If, the, if you came short and the defender didn't come with you, you could get the ball. If he came short, you could lay it off and run behind. And a little bit of a, an idea of different options depending where the defender were. And there's your tactics starting in your mind. And the idea that he could manipulate that depending where he went. But then you can't just do that without knowing what the defender's doing. So now you have to get key fundamentals in. So a key fundamental would be maybe to position blind side of the defender. Defender can't see you, but you can see him. And then you've got a scan to look at the defender and the space. So you've got that. And the next thing is to hide your intentions. So he doesn't know what you're going to do to the last second, but also then reveal your intentions to the passer at the last second. So it's a step, there's a few steps there along the way in these individual tactics. And um, you can do the reverse for the defender, you know. So we started to build it up like that. And, and that's gone into like a little bit of a model for, um, we call it under the microscope, for getting people to really look at some of the key factors um, in a 1v1 duel. Nice, mate. You've given me, I've got so many questions actually, but also just to reflect back on the Jim Greenwood, you know, and, and yeah. his books are legendary. Uh, and, uh, yeah, just real simple stuff about meeting people <laughs> they are. He's also done something where he stretched the rugby players. So he knows mm. that 
it's going to be too easy for them. So they're playing yeah. different positions. It's yeah, I mean that's, that's some cool coaching there. So some yeah. questions. So if you're watching a game, so if you're watching a, a team and they're playing four four two, clearly you're seeing the four four two. What else as a coach are you looking at? What's the stuff that your attention's drawn towards? Yeah, well, well, I think this is very much a skill you need to have as a coach because, and why we've called it under the microscope. If you picture a microscope in a, in a lab and the microscope's got three or four different lenses, so there might be a lens looking down over the full 11 aside, a broad lens, but then you've got to be able to quickly just zoom in and say, now we're going to the 1v1 or the 2v2 on the next lens and so on. So you've got to be able to have a broad look, but then say there, what's happening? So I would imagine in rugby is very similar. You know, you've got a broad look at what's the spaces on the field from the wingers right the way through, but then you need to narrow in and see what's happening, contact around the scrum or whatever it is, you know, around the rock. And you've got to be able to change your lens. Um, so that's a, a skill that we're trying to get in and we believe we may have to, we've got a working group that's saying, well, we may have to restructure some of the courses so that we really get coaches to, first of all, when they first start, let's zoom in and look at the individual. So we're looking at the spaces between the, the defender and the individual, but then we've also got, I use a stick man, and say, well, okay, you've got to look from the head and look at the eyes, look where he's looking, look at his head movement, look at his shoulder, his, his body position, look at his arm movement to hold people off, look at the way uh, the hips move, the feet, the footwork, and you're zooming in on everything, yeah. I like it. I think there should be more noticing CPDs for coaches. Mm. I think it's helpful. And then even the complexity becomes, I guess, even more if there's me and you are coaching together. So we probably yeah. don't want to be, you know, standing next to each other, looking at the same thing. We might be some different stuff. I was then also thinking yeah. about it's going to have implications upon where we stand if we want to see those things. So I, yeah. the story I thought <clears> is about, I was working with a football coach and I said, look, between us, we're going to look at who we think are the best three kind of scanners off the ball and we'll we'll meet in 10 minutes and we'll compare and contrast and yeah, yeah. just be a useful conversation. And I wanted to draw his attention to it. And he said, oh, uh, after 10 seconds, he said, Rusty, I can't, I can't look at their eyes and feed the ball. So I was like, why are you feeding the ball? Because the other side of this, I guess, is, well, what's the stuff we're doing as coaches that's getting yeah. in the way of us noticing? So yeah. are we doing stuff that we're possibly not that aware of in terms of where we stand or, you know, or what else we're looking at that means yeah. we miss something? Yeah, yeah. So, and how and how's that been received by coaches? So what's the... Yeah, it's, it's funny. I, I work with Graham Carrick, who is uh, Michael Carrick's brother yeah, from Man United. He used to play at West Ham as well and so on. Um, and he's been at the FA quite a long time. He said, oh, I've seen this before. You know, you, you do something and you think nothing's happening and then it starts surfacing a year later and people are picking up on it. I think it's definitely helped because we've put on the YouTube, YouTube they've got FA Learning YouTube channel and under it's called Under the Microscope. There's a series of them. Under the microscope, observational skills, under the microscope, um, um, finish the attack, things like that. And we just, we go through it and just discuss, you know, what chat, the details that's happening, actually happening, you know? Yeah. So, yeah, but observational skills would be, you know, they're just so vital. I remember Sir Alex. Sir Alex stopped coaching. He was a coach. He was a very good coach. He coached the Scottish national team. He coached Aberdeen. But when he got to United, after a while, he... His assistant coach said, well, you're not letting me do anything. You're doing it all. 
he said, what am I here for? And he, and he, he took a step back and then he said it was one of the best things he'd ever done because now he could observe people um, and, uh, and observe the players, observe the body language, just things either on or off the field. That observation, sitting back, is, is really important. Hard when you're young because you're trying to get into winning your team winning and doing this and, and that. Um, but if you don't have that, you know, you might well be looking at the whole team and then all of a sudden a goal goes in, but you've never really honed your skills on well, what should the fullback have done? How did, well, how did that cross go in? So you've got to have both. And it, it, you've got to teach yourself to do it. Even on match of the day or games, I'll do it and I'll sort of mentally put a circle round. I'll put a circle with a cross so I can see which quadrant the, the defenders are in, the attackers. And I'll be watching and you, wow, you see things. And then after a bit, you've forgotten. You're just watching the game again like a fan a bit. And then you have to shake your head and go, no, I've got to focus. It's not easy to do it for that. Yeah, and you've got, to look off, you've got to look off the ball. But the good thing is, I think it, it means there's another step. So we're, we're hoping to sort of bring it in earlier in the coaching sort of pathway. And if you, if you pass, you should be assessed on it. You know, can you see that? And then assess for learning. Have you, have you got it yet? You know, are you ready to move on now? And when you move on, then you maybe do 2v2. Now, 2v2, it seems simple, this, but too simple to be true. It's like that's 1v1 on the ball, and you've got a good idea of doing that now because you've been working at it and looking at closely what's all the key factors and, and so on. And then there's 1v1 off the ball. Now, a 2v2 is just those two things connecting. But when you start to see how they connect, you see, oh, and how they work together, then it's, it's really... Well, I've learned a lot even just in the last few weeks just connecting it, you know? Yeah, no, it's actually really hard to look off the ball as well. Like we are mm. naturally drawn to it. That is that mm. is definitely a skill. Uh, some other questions that I had mm. in my mind, um, to, you know, something I think we could think consider more in rugby is like before, during, after. We're often yeah. focused on when someone has the ball, but we actually, mm. and I think we probably referenced a bit there, like before they got it, they were off the ball. Once they pass mm. it, they become off the ball and actually what they do prior to in, in rugby is it getting deep in football is it you know deceiving a defender and taking them one way and then after so yeah. is that something that you think about do you think about in terms of before? Yeah. That's, that's, whole, that's a whole part of that model what do they do beforehand to prepare the space maybe so there's there's different ways to get get the space you if you look at the defender's head let's just say years ago gary pallister was the Man United centre-half, and Romario, the Brazilian centre-forward, playing for, for Barcelona. And I remember the next, he scored two goals at Old Trafford, I think. And the next day, Pali came in the coach's room and he said, uh, that Romario never had a striker look at me so much. He said he was, whenever I looked at the ball and looked back at him, he was always looking at me. So he's looking, when you look at the ball and they like maybe drift off you, or... He might want you to see him so that you come, he, he makes a move, you come with him and then he darts behind, you know. So all of that, that stuff is, is vital. And some of that then is, you know, in your tactics is very much pre-planned, you know. I remember very clearly as a kid, the first time this happened to me, because I stayed at school and did A-levels, didn't go at 16 full-time, but I was uh, playing for my United's third team, the 18 every week and going two nights a week training but on the holidays used to go in so i remember this very clearly um eric harrison was a coach and i remember looking gary worthington was the center forward he came towards me i put my head down and passed it to his feet and when i looked up he'd spun behind and he's like waving to me and then eric pulled me out he said oh you've been because you've been at school you've missed this 
he said, um, but we've been working on this, you know, opposite runs. If he comes short, he'll go long. If he goes inside, he'll go outside. If he goes long, he'll come short. And I was like, I can even taste this. I can smell it, the actual air at the time and the, every bit about it, where I was on the pitch when he told me this, because I just thought, wow, that's <laughs> You know, it's so obvious, but very few people do it, but you have to practice it, you know? I think it's in this, I've been reading some of these posh books and they call it a shared affordance or something yeah, like that. Yeah, they would call it a shared affordance. I was, yeah, uh, yeah. was taken, you were talking earlier and you probably, you had a similar smile on your face when you were talking <laughs> about when you watched Barcelona passing and it was something yeah. I've been thinking about in rugby and obviously you have like packing in football. So in football you would, you have a system that might score different types of passes. So depending mm -hmm. on how many defenders it eliminates or the way it's received yeah. in order to eliminate a defender. In rugby, we just call it a pass and we and we give it one point. You know what I mean? So I was really interested in like, as you said, like you were watching a game, but then you were actually looking at some of the, the detail around the pass. Yeah, exactly. Um, well, it's just after I, I put it on for a group of coaches, coach educators, and I said, look, can you see this? What's happening? It was an under-19 game between Barcelona and either Chelsea or Man City, I think. And um, it was in the, in the finals of the Champions League, under-19s. And um, they were playing the ball around and, and so on. And, and I asked the coaches, you know, what is it you see? And they all said, "Oh, they're playing four-three-three. They've got an inverted wingers, and they've they've got a you know a defensive midfield man." And I went, oh, oh, "Oh, hang on, no, no, I'm looking four levels below that. I'm looking at how the guy passes the ball. Now look at every pass. Now every pass was perfectly weighted, so it gave the choice to either play it first time, to control it, and do what you want. It also gave you time to look before the ball came." And it also gave you time because it was not going too fast that you could make a shape beforehand and have, have disguise. So all these options were up. But also they were playing in their own rhythm, a certain rhythm that they played. And then all of a sudden it allowed them to look up and, and get a connection, the winger and the midfield player. And now, bang, it sped up because they were, they were making an attack. And I think that's something that's maybe, well, it's definitely missing from what I've seen, that idea of flow and getting exactly the right connections. So I've, I've got a few analogies to try and make the point, but it's like a circuit board, an electric circuit board, and each time you make the right connection, you, a bulb goes on. A misconnection, be a red light maybe, and, it's, and it's, the move breaks down. So everything's got to be perfect. So it's like, can you get your first touch perfect? Can you play that pass perfect? If you play that pass perfect, the next person can have a look before it comes. They can see the person's in the perfect position, the next one not now if you give him the perfect pass now he can get his first touch to the perfect place and it, now you you're moving quicker than the opposition can stop you you know so not always a fast pass the right pass that allows him to control it at the right weight by doing something else so you might have the winger who's in the right position and you look at the wing you make it look as though you're going to pass there and at the last second you reverse the pass and the fullback reads the first pass and goes to to the wide man but he's, he's disguised his run and gone in behind. So I think there's a lot to these connections that we have to pay more attention to. And that's the idea behind this looking under the microscope. If you watch the best players, well, you'll notice that's what they do. Yeah, I, um, you just triggered me on a couple of things. I love the idea of seeing how many streaks of light bulbs we can get, how many in a row yeah. we can get. Um, yeah, yeah. And I love, and something I've been playing around with a bit is like, so, you know, asking 
one player. So, you know, Rusty, what do you think Paul saw? So those yeah. you know, the push were shared affordances. But if we want to have light bulbs, then I probably yeah. know what you're about to see or what you're thinking. And so that's... Yeah. Well, here's a good rugby story on, on that one. What's the... Um, Oh, the, the greatest ever, I've forgotten his name now, the greatest ever, New Zealand, outside half, the record points kicker. What's his Dan name Carter, Dan Carter. Dan Carter. Michael Keane did his pro-license assessment and he spoke to Dan Carter. He spoke to Owen Farrell. He spoke to Ricardo. Uh, the, he spoke to two racing drivers as well. And he was all about the timing and, and, and their decision-making under, you know, uh, 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 under pressure and so on. And he spoke to, to Dan Carter and Dan Carter came back, but he had a system where everybody down the line communicated to him where the spaces were because he couldn't see all those spaces. You know, he was relying on the people at, uh, further down to give him a shout and, and to say, oh, look, there's a space here or so on. And, I, and to be fair, Michael was amazed as well that, wow, that they could have such, that he would rely on, on other people so much as well and bring that out. No doubt, you know, as they all said, they have that, scanning and extra extra timing that they see um and was one thing he said as well was great about I, I like this idea of cunning predators and he talked about the idea of kicking and kicking and kicking to the same place and leaving it till the 80th minute before he kicked and kicked and then brought in the disguised kick it looked exactly the same until the last second you know that that type of of long-term planning ready to go the other really thing off that that michael said that fits in with with a lot of um, the sort of this, the that's maybe missing because people haven't focused enough on it is a term that um, that uh, Michael used with these top racing drivers, the top players, is that they can get close to the fire without getting burned, and it sees these top players just delay a little bit longer before they set off the pass before they do that. And I found that with some of the top players I had, like you know, I had Paul Pogba, Chanazar, I've had. Of um, uh, Rashford and people like that, they just hold it that bit longer. Like called Ravel Morrison, and they just have that ability. And Jim Ryan, who used to coach with me, he had this term I thought was brilliant. He said it's the arrogance of timing. It's like I'm good enough to hold it <laughs> a little bit longer. That arrogance that will wait that little bit longer until you really commit yourself. Um, and that that is another thing. If you look under that microscope and you look closely, that's what the best players do. They just hold it a little bit longer and they've got a solution in the moment, you know. But of course, to, to develop that, you've got to allow them to experiment because to get it right just in that moment, to get you, you know, to get close to the fire without getting burned, in practice, you've got to get burnt a few times. Yeah. On, on you know, so you've got to let them do it. I love, your, you know? I love your use of language. I think it's like just reinforcing to me how important language is. So... You know, you've painted some pictures in my head with the microscope. We chatted earlier about your kind of analogy around scanning and, you know, the predator. Yeah. The predator, I think, is one I've used. I've used myself because I think we've not careful with coaching. We tell them what to do. We have them in lines and patterns, but we're not then bringing out their natural instincts. So every kid from the, when it, as soon as it's born, is seeking, is looking for things and he's, he's trying to, you know, in the brain get connections, isn't it? And they build those connections over time and then they, you know, they're walking, they're crawling, they're walking, they, but they're everywhere. And they, they're curious, you know, because that's the animal nature. And then 
you know, they, they have to know about danger and getting too close to the fire. You know, they have to learn about that. Um, but it's in our instincts, hunter-gatherers. So, yeah, the predator one fits with the sort of model I've used of position. You're doing the long grass, you know, the, the, the hiding um, in the long grass, maybe their position downwind um, of the predator. And then, you know, they're scanning and they're scanning for the weakest one, you know, the wildebeest that's got a They're looking for me. They're looking for me. Little skinny run on, you know, they're looking for that one. And then they have they've got their body orientated, they might be down low, you know, the body orientation so they're not seeing they're ready to spring off and their movement, they're not running about chasing them all over, they're going from naught to sixty in five seconds, aren't they? To try and kill. And then deception, you know, they're hiding, they're hiding their intentions or disguising their intentions. And and then the timing, what's the triggers? You know, are you gonna run when the buffalo's hundred yards away? don't think so you know you're gonna to have to wait until they're close enough what's the right time they're looking away you know looking at the looking at the your opponent's head and looking when they're looking the other way is a, is a vital one um i think um and then then would be the technique to kill you know you've got to if you're a killer you've got to you've got to just um you've got to grab them by the throat so your technique's got to be good hasn't it when you finish that goal um Going back to the one I like is, is you know, a lot of people say, oh, yeah, when do you do these sort of thing with kids, though? You know, kids, you know, looking at the defender's head. And I, I go back to, you have done this, I'm sure. You, rugby lad, you have done it. When I was a kid, we played football all the time in the playground. But then, then it got to, um, sometimes it was, it, it was, you couldn't play on the grass or, you know, you had to, so it was British Bulldog. A British Bulldog, when you were seven or eight, you, you were all blind up, weren't you? And someone's on. And you'd wait till someone ran. He turns to run after them. You see the back of his head and you walk across. You could do that three or four times, couldn't you? You're looking at his head and you, you could just have a jog across. Now, that's a, in football anyway, 360 sport like that, it's a key, it's a key skill to look at, get on the blind side and um, run when the defender's looking the other way. So if you can do it eight and make it up yourself when you're a kid, I'm sure coaches can, can help them develop it, you know. Yeah, I think we're I think we're getting in the way of it, quite frankly, by mm. telling them what we think they should be looking at. And maybe often, certainly in rugby, mm. we are orientating ourselves relative to our team. So yeah. you know, we're going, it's one, three, three, one. You need to stand next to Paul. So we end mm. up like checking we're standing here and actually yeah, yeah. all That's the clues suspense. are in front of us. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Exactly. What are they doing? Yeah. <laughs> and the um yeah, uh, the best example I can give is in defence, I had a player say, oh, Rusty, from the ruck, we call 10, 20, 30, 40, 50. And I said, mm. oh, what does 40 do? And he says, stands between 30 and 50. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we're, we're down a rabbit hole here, unfortunately. You mentioned uh, deception. What, yeah. what where, where does that fit into your world? Because same again, yeah. I, I actually think in rugby, we watch players that do it and we, we go, oh, it's not coachable. Like, you can't teach that. Mm. You know, fitness, yeah, yeah. And do this, and he obviously learned it somewhere. So yeah, yeah, it for you. Yeah, well, I think you have to point their attention to it. You obviously you, you want people to most people learn football from copying, they're copying off TV and so on. And there's this sort of in football instinctive uh, disguise where you might be going for a shot and the guy's blocking you. So at the last second you think, but then there's other disguise that's more thought out. Um, uh, but the big, some of the big 
things for it. Uh, the, the guy who worked with me, Jim Ryan, was brilliant on this stuff. And he, you know, people used to exaggerate the body movement and they said, no, no, small, late movements. If you're making a pass, you're making a pass here. Just make it look the same until the last minute. Bang. Last millisecond. So it's got to look the same. Uh, disguise is all about making it look like it's going to happen, an illusion, and they follow that. You know, you can't be making it exaggerated. This looking one way and then passing that way. That, that's mainly for show. You know, you need to have looked beforehand, you know, and, and, and seen it. Um, how do you learn it? We ha I was lucky. I had lots of good players uh, at Man United who were very skillful. And, and basically, the, one of the best ways to learn it is to play with older players. Um, so we had a cage and it was completely enclosed, about 50 by 30. It's quite big. Uh, but we used to play 13 aside. Now, we found 13 aside was just the amount just the right amount of chaos um but but it was fantastic and they, they got completely absorbed in it which is a key i think to disguise that you know a lot of the skills is you're absorbed we also made sure that before they went in it was a fun session before it and then we just have some cake and a cup of tea and we'd be joking and they knew it was just like it was very competitive but it was a fun and there was no there wasn't going to be any destruction from the coaches and also what we did is we mixed age groups. At first we had 16 to 18 roles. And then we said, well, why don't we bring the 14 roles in? Then eventually they said, well, he's a good player. Rashford and this lad, Mar um, lad Greenwood now, he, they played when they were 12. Rashford played when he was 12 and Pogba was 18 and Lingard and so on. Now, because, you know, we, we said to them, well, be careful. And, and, and I have to be clear on this. If you, It's not much use if the players aren't any good, you know? <laughs> you know, so... It's no use playing with older players who've got no skills. This is so you can learn the skills and the older ones will teach you. And the older ones, because there was younger ones playing, they could try more things. It wasn't a normal session. So they would try more skills, flick it over the head, through the legs, disguise, timing on one, two. So also it means you're sort of scaffolding it. So if Rashford's playing in, in the under-12s, he might get a one, two. But if he's playing with players who are not far off the first team, and he might get five one twos. You know, and so they, they learnt off each other, and then it was definitely that sort of a, a camaraderie. Hey, will you tell everyone what you're up to at Call 37? Hi, Fletch. We're a teamwear brand based in the Northeast, and we're the sister company of Oddballs. We've got the largest sports sublimation factory in the UK, and we've produced for the biggest brands in Europe over the past seven years. But with Call 37, our in house brand, you can now access those prices direct to the customer. Why would people use Call 37? Uh, if I was to pick three, Fletch, it would be our lead time of three to four weeks, our price, which is lower than anybody else in the industry, and the fact that we're made here in the UK. What's the stuff you're most proud of with Core 37? Oh, there's loads of stuff, but the, the key one for me would be working for a company that, that genuinely believes in its own mission statement, which is to produce performance sportswear at an affordable price. And then underpinning that is the people. Everybody who works here is involved in grassroots sport in some way. And so we genuinely care about what we're doing here. Fletch, why do you want to partner with Core 37? Uh, apart from the fact you're a Geordie, uh, great people, uh, lots of people involved in sport, really affordable and top quality. Thanks for joining us, Wilkie. Anyone who wants to find out more can go and have a play on their website at core-37.com or they can reach out directly to tom at core-37.com. Yeah, and this, yeah, there's some research uh, by a woman called Barbara Fredrickson. It's not in football it, it, or, or rugby. It's not sport orientated, but it, it's it's talking about really how you feel when you go into an activity can affect your creativity. So if you're feeling really good and up, 
or you're feeling pretty down and stressed, it will make a difference. And that resonates with me. It's what we did when we were going in that cage, made it quite light in a sense. Um, it was just going to be fun. They knew there wasn't going to be a lot of coaching and so on. And, and the idea of that broaden and build theory is that you, when you're happy, you, you, your sort of awareness, I think, is, is broadening. So you, you, there's so many cues. It was so tight, 13 aside. There were so many things going on. You needed them to be absorbed, not have any distractions of too many coaches talking at them or going on, just to play the game and be absorbed. And then you build lots of connections because there's so many different uh, connections in there that you might have for a one-two, for the timing, for uh, the right way of pass. So you're getting so many different pictures that come up in a repeated, it's almost a very intense session. It's, it's almost like um, combinations on steroids in a sense that there's that many coming up. But your mind, if, if, you're, if you're a bit hesitant and close, if the coach is, if you're thinking of too much about what the coach is saying, then it's going gonna, it's gonna to sort of, instead of broaden your focus, it's going to narrow it and you, you won't take all those things in. Now, of course, that's, that is quite a broad description of it because we had kids from 12 playing up to 18. So at each step they went in, it probably wasn't the same, you know. You've got 18-year-olds who were close to playing in the first team, playing with 16, 15, 14. So it was quite easy for them, or, or easier. Uh, but because it was a light sort of session, it was more they could try things, experiment. And they got these little kids, they can flick it over the head, stick it through the legs. They could, For them, it was probably very much that broaden and build. It was still very competitive. But the first ones, when they first came in, 12, 13, 14, it might have been so out of their comfort zone that at first, what they used to do was almost stand with their back to the side. So they, they, they only had 180 to look at. They were more comfortable standing on the side and then they'd start to see the connections and they might not get a lot of touches at first. And people used to say this, well, the little ones are not getting a lot of touches. But we used to say, yeah, but there was a phrase we had from a, from a coach. Uh, a, he was a Brazilian coach. He'd worked in France and his English wasn't great. And he, he got a lot of things out of the dictionary. And he, he, he said to our centre forward once at half time, he said, uh, he said, Callum, you are, you are a privileged spectator. You watch the game from on the field. You know, you don't about, you're just watching. But in effect, that's what these kids were. They were privileged to see these high-level skills, the timing and so on. And at first, it might take a few weeks before they really joined in. So in this sense, you've got to be, I suppose we were very, very firm in our belief that it was good. Um, a lot of people doubted it. There were some people who just couldn't see it. We had other coaches at the club who just like well it doesn't look like the real game it's no good this but if you took it into its smallest parts the movements the people close to you was like a 2v2 a 1v1 a, that bit those moments of skill were very very real and because it was quite chaotic and you got absorbed it really was like playing in a top level game where you had to be so alert because there was always somebody close to you and I played in those games as well. It was a highlight of the week for me when I was coaching <laughs> and for the coaches. And it really did, for me, reignite my spirit of football. I felt like a young kid, just the same. And you had to be really alert because imagine you're the coach in there, all the players are ready to kick you to get the chance. So you've, you've got to be quick and clever. And, and so it really was a great melting pot. And I think you've just... You've just had uh, different players come out with it. Mares played in cages in France. 
we just uh, Eze, as you know at uh, Crystal Palace, he was talking about it the other week, and it's the competition and the skill is king again, you know, definitely. Yeah, I was thinking about how poor I would be in the cage. I was also thinking <laughs> about me at a wedding, like the privilege of, of being a spectator, and then my wife dragging me on the dance floor. So I've moved from a 180 to a... And actually, I've seen it a few times, and actually one of my... Uh, actually, one of my most memorable coaching conversations with was with Tony Whelan next to mm. the cage, actually. And mm. uh, what a remarkable uh, uh, guy he is and what an amazing conversation yeah. that was. And um, but I've I've seen that actually with uh, in hockey uh, around like defenders. So if you have someone who plays like centre back and then you put yeah. them in the middle of a practice, then yeah. suddenly that one eighty becomes three sixty, and it's actually quite alien to them if they've yeah. had really long periods with this often one eighty view. So yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Like which positions, which ages, yeah. who would go well, yeah. in the Where do people position themselves? Yeah, and I think I think that then as they each year they got older, they were more and more comfortable. Now they become the top dog, so their learning changed. So it's lots of times people want to change a session, but actually, as the players get more skilled or they understand more concepts, the same session actually means different things to them, and more concepts become a challenge. Different concepts. So that was definitely happening as they played in there for years on end. And then they became sort of like the veterans of it all. And, and then they started to teach the others. It, there was so much going on in it. And, and, and probably I, I've only realised how much sort of looking into the research behind it and, um, and where it fits. Um, but a lot of people talk about street football and playing in the playground. And, and it, it was supposed to be a recreation of that um, and to get you in there. But also... Yeah, players need to be able to play now in all different positions. So there's a, a player at Man City, Cancelo, played fullback. He, he plays fullback when they're defending, and when they attack, he plays in centre midfield as an attacking midfield player a lot of the time. So to have that adaptability, I think, is also one of the tactical threats of the future. To and it's all, well, not just the future; it's happening now with Guardiola and people like that. They're they're changing people's formations within a game and their roles from a traditional role to a different one. Yeah, I think some of the best teams in rugby are doing that. They're actually mm. putting people in positions in attack and defence that are mm. more suited to them rather than the, you know, it's, it's almost like this numberless team. Like, yeah. I'm, I'm, I might have this, you know, in attack, I, I stand here, but in defence, I'm here. What have you noticed? Because obviously, I think, you know, I mean, I'm, I've put you in touch with Danny Carey. You've done a bit of stuff with hockey. What, what have you noticed in other worlds? Have you, have you seen stuff in other sports where people are doing this well, or you think that, you know, they're starting to explore this a bit as well? I think it's quite often a similar process, the, the way the game's gone and the way people get analysis, they work with the team, you know, the top, quite often the top coaches are working at the highest levels and they're, they're working for team results. So then people then sort of copy what they do. And then their evolution comes so that, say, Danny might have been very team, team process and so on. And then he decides, well, no, the team actually, has, the answers need to come from the players themselves. So it gives them more, more automation. And then he's thinking the next step might be now more of this stuff. And I think that's the conversation you know, we've had as well around the, the individual tactics. How do they get more and more individual skills in these situations? Um, and, and I think that can be, a sort of evolution of your coaching, 
I mean, when you start off, you're just copying somebody else's session and you're hoping the session goes well. You judge it off, well, the session went well, but you've not really paid a lot of attention to the individuals. And then you're looking the same at the game. Well, the game went well. The team performed like the first team, but have we, you've not looked at the individuals again. So then you go through phases, I think. And again, that's a bit like being in that cage. You know, once you've got one set of concepts as a coach, it then maybe leads on to others. Uh, and, and that's a natural evolution. And probably then you go to a real, if it, like him, you go in the Olympics and everything, you realise that, wow, that, uh, we're doing great. We've, we've done fantastic. But the next level is to get now the individual player. Well, of course, then the next thing, the next thing is how do I connect the twos to the player on the ball and off the ball? And then it'll be the threes. But if you've already looked at the ones and got a good handle on that and they understand each other's role because they understand 1v1 on off the ball, they'll understand it even better. So that, like I said, I think before, you, if you understand the 1v1 on the ball and the 1v1 off the ball, 2v2 is connecting them. But if you've got the idea of those pictures, the third man run off that, the one, two, three, then that becomes easier as well because you've already got the other pictures in your mind. Yeah, nice. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to like I'm, I'm work out in my head. So if I came to watch Paul McGuinness coach, I mean, I'm sure it would be different every time, of course, but would there be any stuff that's like always there? Something that actually this is <clears throat> this is a big part of my coaching and this will happen in most sessions. Yeah, it's it's quite a difficult role I've got now because you end up doing demo coaching. And I must say it's I find it incredibly difficult. You've got somebody else's players, you've put in on a set sort of session that has no real lead up of other sessions that, that lead you up to the certain skills that you do. So, and then they want quite often a, a full team thing. And I'm like, I haven't even done the parts, you know, the parts to get up to that bit. So, so at, at the moment it can be quite frustrating for me to try and get something over in that way. And it's not really how I see coaching. Although of course it's important to do set sessions before a game. My coaching has always been long-term development. So working on parts of the game with individual small groups, then, then bringing it all up together. Um, but I, the things that I would always try to have within it would be um, definitely the spirit of football, the, the, this sort of, uh, definitely the, 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 the sk intimidation by skill would be a part of that. Even if that's just the most simple things like we talked before, that we are getting it habit, that the connections are right, the first touch is right to the right place. You look before it comes, that you give a signal and so on. I would want to get all those things right because I think if you get those things right, that then leads to more opportunities for um, for disguise, more opportunities to um, read ahead and connect with your own players. Um, so, so a, a lot of that. Um, yeah. And I guess the other stuff that I'm, I'm considering is like, and, and probably this is the evolution of lots of people coaching is that it would just be much more individualized than it used to be. And also <laughs> you, are, you are through questioning or through the practice design, like creating connections between players. So actually starting to understand what weapons does this person bring and what weapons does this person bring? And if we can combine those, we can, we can have a really big weapon. Yeah. I think then as you're going along, part of the kind of the big concepts you've got to get over to players is, what are your strengths and what are the strengths of your who you're playing with and how do you work together to get those, you know? And, of course, maybe hide your weaknesses, improve them if you can. But, of course, then, then really 
say to people, you're really good at this, let's get you doing that. And then to link it with other people uh, would be a great thing. But also, that's where I think the themes sort of come in as well, that you're trying to get an overall idea, feeling to the players. So, of course, we had a lot of good players. We Man United, we could recruit them. And also, I think we developed them pretty well from an early age. And we had a clear, clear sort of model with the first team. You know, it had to be attacking, flowing, football, exciting. And um, so then you try to put in place some themes of that. So my one theme I would have now, looking at some of the teams, the, the best teams, and I'm talking about this flow and adjusting off each other would be to say, can we, can we play like wild horses running free? So in a sense, if you watch, if you get it up on YouTube, there's some great clips of it, to be fair. You, you get the wild horses. Now, nobody's really telling them where to go. Nobody's told them to run. But wow, they're enjoying it. They're running. You know, the first one might take the lead. The next one's close. But they run, they run pretty much in a pack close together. And then they adjust off each other. It'd be great for rugby. I mean, it's, it's a bit like the great barbarians try with Gareth Edwards. You know, it's that sort of yeah. thing that you want. That image of that's how I'd like my team to be able to play in certain situations either on the counter-attack or a fast combination attack. And one takes the lead, the next takes the lead. Wherever he runs, everybody behind sort of adapts to the movement of each other. But the big thing about it is it's not like they're just doing it for fun, but they're running fast for fun. The, the, hair, the hair's going, you know, the, 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 all the wind is going through their hair. They've all got a smile on their face. They're just enjoying themselves. And... Um, you know, as they're doing it, the dust is coming up at the back. You see the power of it, the sort of the interconnection. And, of course, they just trample all over whoever's in their way. There's, there's no stopping them. So I, I like that sort of a, a feeling. And then you can say things to the players, well, who's the lead horse? Who's, who's going to be supporting closest? And who's going to make the next run? You know, and who's sort of trailing up behind just in case they drop it and we, we can pick it up again and all these sort of things. I think you can make a lot out of that so that just that one image actually over time, you don't have to say all the things that just image pick sort of encapsulates, characterizes all the skills that you want. Yeah. I love it. I love the fact that instead of like having like often people will have themes and it might be, you know, deep defense or playing off transition or, but we could have wild horses. We could have hunting dogs. And so there were a couple more that I've, I've heard from you. Uh, hunting dogs, assassins, matadors. Do you want to just explain those again? I yeah. love how they just paint pictures yeah. in my heads. Sure. And of course, you, when I say these matadors and assassins, I've had people get on and say, oh, that's a bit cruel, the matador and the, and the assassin. Is that the right language to use? Look, it's make-believe. Uh, we're using it for make-believe, like kids would watch a make-believe programme, like... James Bond's on the TV or, or what have you. It's not, just to be clear on that, some people, I can understand that point of view, but it's an analogy to get a point over. So I use the assassins as, as an idea of what is the, the role, you know, how, what, what are the characteristics of a good finisher, goal scorer in the duel against the goalkeeper and the defenders? And number one, an assassin is very, very accurate. You know, you say, you can imagine a James Bond film and they just sort of move over and they, you can see that the, the crosshairs over the target, bottom corner, top corner, bang. This Harry Kane, it's nearly, it's 10 times out of 10, right in the corner. And that's because he's got his body position just right, like an assassin would do, got himself still in the moment, seems to create that little bit of time and shoots. 
Um, but of course, they're also adaptable. So somebody gets in the way of that shot on the James Bond, someone walks in the way of the hit, and they just slowly change their gun, their weapon, and they take aim for the next one. So that would equate to someone coming inside off, off the right, off the left flank with the right foot, opening up, looks as though they're going to bend the ball in the top right-hand corner. The keepers are going to move over there, but someone blocks it. So now they move again. They move again, and the goalkeeper moves that way. And then it's almost like an infrared target. It's in the top corner, it's in the bottom corner, and then all of a sudden, bottom left, bang, goal through the guy's legs. So they've got this infrared ray to, to, to adjust quickly. And then the other things that goalkeepers don't like is they, they don't like it if they don't see any cues. So if you've got your back to goal and then suddenly you turn like an assassin and shoot the guy, bang, that's, there's no cues. Or it might be it's a crowded box and it's a toe poke. Well, that's like the stiletto knife coming out of a crowd or the used to be years ago, the, the guy with the poison tips umbrella, bang, you're dead. And, um, you know, so all these little analogies can help, you know, to say, well, you must, if you get a touch and then hit it quick in the box, it's the speed. The keeper doesn't see it. Um, it can be all these type of things. How, how are you going to, you know, what weapon are you going to use? Or which shot is it um, to beat the goalkeeper? Disguise, you, it might be as well the defender's in the way or you use him as a shield. So the goalkeeper can't see it, but then you bend it round him into the top corner and there's no clues for the keeper. And that's a bit like a, the assassin shooting just all of a sudden round the door. And that's how I use it. Um, the accuracy, the efficiency, and also the, the sort of coolness of the assassin. You know, they might miss with the first shot. The, 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 it doesn't fluster them. They just wait for the next opening clinical again. It's like they have no... If you look under assassin in the in in the dictionary, it's, it says they have no conscience, they have no feelings in that sense. So it's like Harry Harry Kane, he misses one, it's not bothering him, he'll get the next one, you know that that type of thing. So that that again just and it, it gets that demeanour, you know, they're cool in the box, they sort of hiding from people, and then all of a sudden they appear and score the goal. So it can be just useful, I think, to remind you. Yeah, I love it, uh, and obviously. Some useful stuff there for, you know, same in hockey, like the goalies don't want to see the cues or they want to, yeah. you want to give them a different cue to what they've normally seen. <laughs> same in rugby, we often give them cues that they've seen before. And I think it's becoming yeah. easier and easier to go to play the game of guess where the ball's going next because it's just yeah. predictable, quite frankly. Whereas I think deception, both individual and collectively, is. Uh, is something we need to explore more. Uh, tell me about hunting dogs. I'm assuming hunting dogs are more defensive, or are they? Uh... Yeah, it's, it started off. I had a, we had a big game at Arsenal in, in the Youth Cup, so I thought we will have to be really good. They're a good team. It actually turned out it's the FA Youth Cup, and it was the one of the first games after they opened the Emirates. So we had thirty-eight thousand at this Youth Cup match semi-final. Wow. So, um, so we decided I'm going to really we really work on defending. And I'd seen, it was one of these David Attenborough films and they, yeah, they show these hunting dogs and he does the commentary in the, on it and, he's, and there's, there's all the buffalo and uh, bison and all those sort of things or whatever, you know, wildebeest and all the animals in the thing and, and they show them in sort of in the distance in the long grass and he, he starts off, he says, uh, and where there's meat, there's hunters too. And he goes, it's the, it's, uh, the, the African hunting dog, one of the most lethal hunters in you know under in the in the uh, in the in the continent 
80% of their kills end in a, uh, their hunts end in a kill. They hunt together as a pack and it goes, it goes on and then it goes through and you see the chase and it brings them down and they all jump on it. And then what I did is I put clips of the first team at Man United at that point, playing Arsenal in the, in the semi-final when Giggs scored that goal and they were all closing down and they were all winning the ball back and Giggs scored the goal, all this type of thing. So we put that on before that semi-final and it, 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 it was tremendous. They, they actually lost that one game, 1-0, one but we won the second leg in an amazing tie where we come back in the last minute. And it, it was an amazing yeah, set of games. But yeah, I used them you know, from there on. I used it at different times. Then you've got the analogies, you know, you know who's the lead dog, you know, who's following up, who's going to have a bite, who's having a nibble, who's, you know, yeah. all these sort of things. Be ready for the kill. You, you, you know, grab them by the throat. You, you've got all these little things that start to come into your little language as you, as you go along. Um, I had a couple, we had, we had a few more, um, a couple I couldn't bring on now. I actually looked to them and I thought, God, oh, you couldn't actually use that nowadays. You get locked up for it. Uh, one was, yeah, Saving, Saving Private Ryan, where they were stuck and they were, we were like resistance fighters. And they were stuck in the in the church, if you remember. And they had they were they had these sticky bombs they made, and that was like let's let's hit them with a sticky bomb in midfield, and all sorts of things. I think that they all started the themes like that. The symbols started from from one where we were going to America. It was an under twelve uh, tournament in Dallas, and we had for some reason we 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 had about five or six players who who we were loaning. We didn't quite have a big group, or something happened. The age group was mixed. So we had five or six sort of pretty new players coming with us. And we thought, well, we'll have to get these kids integrated because they don't know our group that well. So it won't be a problem when we're attacking, but when we're defending, we need we need to do some work on this. So we, we were planning to do some sessions. And the old one was, you know, you tie them up with a rope so that they all move together and, and all this sort of stuff and different things. We played British Bulldog. We did, but we were looking for a, an idea to get them together. And Jim Ryan, who was the assistant manager, reserve team coach, director of youth, really imaginative coach. He's helped me a lot with a lot of things. And a lot of his phrases I use, the arrogance of time and intimidation by skill. They're all gyms. I've copied him like you do. And we were sat, we used to go on a Friday. We used to go for a coffee. And that was a little bit like the broaden and build thing. So there's less pressure on. There's no, there's nobody about in the offices. There's no, there's no, I was going to say no faxes coming in. There's no emails coming in. There's no, there's probably faxes in those days. There's nobody phoning you. So it was quite relaxed on a Friday. We would have quite a lot of good ideas in this coffee shop. Um, just, just normal. In fact, loads of kids would come in. It was just really relaxed. And we were talking about it, and then Jim said, well, we need, we need a symbol. We need an idea to combine these kids. So he said, we, we talked about this rope, join them together. And then after a bit, he said, well, why don't we use this chain? Chain, a chain, and that's strong. You know, there's, nobody, breaks, nobody breaks the chain, and that'll be solid. We'll get that idea of a chain. I said, okay, yeah, that's not a bad idea, the seed of an idea. I and mean, sometimes the idea is just, you know, they, they go, and then you, you leave them a little bit, and they sort of, they gestate a little bit and they say, well, we'll see you later for a drink. We'll go for a drink. We meet for a drink on a Friday as well sometimes. So we met him later. We're having a drink, having a couple of beers. And more and more ideas start to come out. So, well, this chain, it's, it's a good idea, but it's like the links, you know, it's going to be strong links. He said, well, maybe each letter could mean something in the chain for the defending. So we said, okay, that'll be good. We went compact, hard to beat, attack the ball, 
in position, never switch off. That'll be good for kids of 12. That'll be fine. Great. Good idea. So we got the drinks. And actually, it was, it was a nice night. You know, it was, <laughs> it, was, it, was, it was quite a good night. There's lots of sort of nice looking women in the bar. We, we're getting sort of distracted. It's it's the Broad and Bill thing. You know, it's a couple of beers, bronze you have mind. And, and then next, so we said, well, that's a good one. But maybe we could do what the rugby do. And they could have a hacker. A hacker that meant something with the chain. So we need some symbols. So for each one, then we decided that the C, the C with symbol was going to be compact. So we put our hands together like that and just compact. Right, that's good. C, we've got H, H, hard to beat. So we had to be strong, hard to beat. Put the muscles up and then it was attack the ball. So that was attack the ball in position. The next one was in position, was like in position. And the next one was never switch off. So we got this idea and then we went, we went and practiced it. And then we, we didn't have a lot of time. And then we went with the night before we stayed in the hotel before we went. And for, we'd never done this. This is 1998. We'd never done any of this. We were just making it up as we went along. And we didn't even book a room or anything. We said, oh, well, let's get a flip chart. We were, we were in the middle of the foyer doing this. And we had like Tom Heaton, who played for England. Was a, he was a reserve goalie then. We had a lot of nice players there. And um, so we're doing this stuff. But they'd also watched the British Lions video. The classic, you know, with the yeah, television, seven, yeah, all that stuff, you know, all that was magic. So they would watch that about team teamwork, and then it was, um, and then it was like, right, you've got to get some aims down because that's what the rugby lads did. They got the aims of the trip, right? We've got to have a good time, and they, they started coming out. Never break the chain. Never, we've got to never break the chain. All these bits of Irish lads, never break the chain. You know, it was all this. That was all. That was the main theme. So just at that point. And he was a regular in here because they had, uh, it was the YMCA as well. Um, Bill Bezik, who, who's uh, Steve McLaren's big mentor, is the, yeah. the psychologist. So he'd come walking through, he sees us all, and he goes, oh, what's going on, lads? So he said, we go off to America and we're doing this thing. We've got this idea. He said, oh, it's brilliant. But he said to them all, listen, you know, lads, you know when you'll need this chain the most? And these lads like, oh, yeah, what, what, what? you know, they're only 12, 11 and 12. And he said, when you have a problem, when you have a problem, that's when you're going to need this chain. So we didn't think anything of it. And, and, and the whole thing started to grow. So we get in the airport and we said, what the hell, these you know, 12-year-olds are all over the place. Listen, when we shout chain, you're all in. Chain! <laughs> all come in. So they're all, last one in, is doing press-ups, all that sort of stuff. So they're chain. And then it, if you shouted chain, so some of them start, they, they're doing it on the plane. So they're all holding hands on the plane. And it, it just, they were a great group. So it was a good crackers we've gone along then we got the bus from the airport and the same guy's driving us he was boring as hell this bus driver you know deadpan nothing so as we're going along um then it gets in the hotel and it's all going on we're reminding them and then it became something off the pitch as well so now to reinforce all the things you'd want the learning off the pitch we said to them well look you know you're all different kids some of you don't know each other this scene now means compact off the pitch you know, you can't, you've got to be together. Nobody's off on their own. Don't leave anybody around. You know, it's, you've got to be together as a team. You've got to be hard to be in terms of standards. Standards have got to be high. You've got to attack the experience. You've got to give it a go at everything, everything. And we went off, we did rodeos and we did all, went to see the basketball. It was an unbelievable trip, you know, and we're playing the football, by the way. A bit of football thrown in, you know. So, and, and, then, and then in position, You've got to be in the right place. You're not in the bar. You're not in the place you shouldn't be. You're in the right place and you're in the right time. And then you never switch off because you've got responsibilities to the rest of the team, the club, all this sort of stuff. So it started going on. And 
Now we play these couple of American teams first. We give them a good hiding. You know, we we score loads of goals. It's live on it's live on TV. They're making a big meal of us. And around the hotel, everybody's going, "Wow, these are the best behaved group we've got here." And it's so it's it's all going it's all going great. You know, and we've, then we score. We're into the quarterfinals, and and it was sponsored by Diodora. So in the hotel is a big room with loads of gear, and they're selling the gear from the thing. And so there's about five or six of the group go in. And they go in this, they go in the um, the room, and they're doing that well. They're getting that much publicity that they give them loads of free gear. They get free boots, free tracksuits. So we think nothing of it, and uh, well, we don't know about it until one of them. I never forget this. This kid, he's twelve years old, Damian Allen. He's now at Stockport County the Academy Director, and he he came with he came to us, and he was upset. He said, "Listen, um, I've I want to take all my gear back." And we said, well, what's the problem? He said, it's breaking the chain. There's only five or six of us got it, and the rest are really not happy. It's it's killing the team spirit. So we said, right, you can't take it back just like that. We've got to have a meeting. So we have this meeting, they all discuss it, and all these 12-year-olds all decided they were going to take all the gear back. And it's like, wow. So the next day, the, 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 guy, the guy, they couldn't believe it. Deodoro guys couldn't believe it. They took the, all the gear back. So as it turns out, they give us all gear the next day. But the fact was, the team spirit from then was just amazing. And what we'd done, we'd, we, it got bigger and bigger as we went on. So now we had on the bus, and the bus driver's part of it all now, all the waitresses are part of it. And we said to them, look, the more, the more you make this chain grow bigger, you know, all the people are involved, you know, in the hotel, the bigger it becomes the bigger and bigger it becomes. So we're on the bus, the music's going, you'll never break the chain. They were all sat there, glazed eyes. And I thought, there's no way we're losing this game. And they went on and won the final. And all the staff from the hotel were there, the waitresses and everything, give them all sweets and sunglasses and so on. And um, we've got a video of it on the bus coming back to one of these like school bus. Tony Whelan that you said, like, he was our health and safety officer years later. He's full length on this bus while it's moving, playing the air guitar, and all the kids <laughs> are stood up going mad while, while this is on. Now, this experience convinced me that all these, all these, all these, other, um, all these other themes could be useful, you know, if you really thought about it and, and, and it, get, it got a big connection. From there, um, you know, it, actually the next, the next year I went to a conference at Inter Milan and told them all, the whole story of this in Italian, with little clips of videos and, that, and got a stand innovation. They were all in tears. Catena is chain in, in Italy. Um, and they were like made up with this story, you know. Mate, I want to be in the chain gang. Yeah, uh, yeah. You've definitely uh, brought to life. That's a great story around just the importance of language and, and the formation of it and how you've got to be willing to iterate it and not just think it's this one thing that it's a call on the pitch. It's like can be so powerful. Um, yeah, um, I love it. I mean, they, are, they are difficult. I mean, I got a bit carried away with one of the next ones. So, well, I was under 18 coach and I, I really wanted to win this tournament, this uh, Blue Stars tournament, because my dad had played in it with Bobby Chant, the Busby Babes, they'd all played in it in the 1950s and they'd won it. And I really wanted to win it. And I had a really good team. I had like Johnny Evans, uh, Fraser Campbell, all internationals, uh, so what I did beforehand, I thought, well, these are quite short games. And in these games, you really need to 
You need, you need, it can be one lost in the last five minutes. So how do you keep a lead in the last five minutes? And how do you, how do you win in the last five minutes? And we did all this training. I produced a booklet on the do's and don'ts of winning in the last five minutes. Don'ts, you know, do do um, take your time with free kicks. Don't give free kicks away. Make sure you keep the ball away. Make sure you do this, do that, do the other. I had all sorts of pictures on it of Roy Keane, uh, Solskjaer scoring in the last five minutes. And oh, I went to town on this theme, you know, unbelievable. We did training, 15 minute games where if for five minutes you were in the lead, five minutes you weren't in the lead. We went back and forward and did this theme. And then when we got to the first game, we played a smaller team. And uh, so I thought, well, I'll rest because we need to play everybody. I'll play a couple of the ones who are not quite strong. I'll play them in the first game. And uh, that'll mean we can play the strongest team all the way through the rest of the games. And we've got this five minute, five minutes each way for later on when it's a close game. And um, we ended up playing on a small pitch. We were 4-0 down at half time, <laughs> and we lost the first game. And basically that meant we couldn't win the tournament. So... The reason I say that is that you've got to be careful you get a theme that you know is going to work whether you win or lose. Yeah. That it's always going to be there. Um, it's a behaviour thing or something or something's going to come up. So that was a big mistake I made in this particular tournament. And it's actually, it's a big lesson because it was more about me getting a win in this tournament. I really wanted it than thinking about the long-term development of the players. It's still a good theme the last five minutes. Well, you can't be sure that it's ever going to come up. Yeah, <laughs> it's not the Chang gang. It's not the Chang gang. Right, look, that's, that is class. I've got a couple of questions. I've got a couple of one-worders, which which I'm really interested in. And then I've got a... I'm curious, firstly, like a most skillful player you ever you, you ever played with and against? Well, it's a funny one, because I've played with more generations of Manchester United players. Never when I was 15, 16, I used to, my dad used to say, bring your boots. We've got these charity games. So it was Man City, Man United and Mick. So I played with, for most Man City fans, I played with Bell, Lee, Somerby, Doyle, all these book who were there. Thing. But I also played one game with George Best, uh, Bobby Charlton, Paddy Crown and so on and what have you. I also played, I played with Ryan Giggs in, in the A-team. I played with Brian Robson and so on. Um, you got that one covered. I think you've um, got that covered. Bob, yeah. Bobby Charm, for me, is the, like, he was the most talented player I've ever played with, I think, yeah. Nice. Uh, one-worders, so one-word response. What do you mm. think of when... Uh, uh, Sir Alex? Sir Alex? Um, connections, really. Just connections. How we connected people. Yeah. Uh, Man United? Um, that's like a feeling. It's like a feeling that um, because of everything that my dad was, it's just it's how it made you feel being part of it. Yeah, nice football. Football's the same thing. It's it's the same. It's a, it's, it's a feeling. It's like um, you, I always say you. I call it the spirit of football. And at times, don't get me wrong, that goes down low as well. But you, it's always there, ready to ignite. You know you. You can have lots of downs in your life, but for me, that's always the constant um, that it's there, ready to ignite and 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 bring you so much. Yeah, uh, skill. <laughs> I could say intimidation, but because um, that's the that was the phrase. It's yeah. It, I think it is a little bit of that because you, you're trying to intimidate your your opponent with your skill. You're trying to win with with that skill, and that intimidates them. Yeah. 
Nice, yeah. I mean, we've all we've all played against the really skillful player, and we're talking about him for the week beforehand. He's definitely intimidating us. Uh, last one, uh, coaching. Um, I go with the feeling again because that's what I love. That football, I want them to have that same feeling. I want them to and, and have it for the rest of their life. That feeling, yeah. Nice, Paul McGuinness. It's been a pleasure. I could chat to you all day. You are one of the the best storytellers I've ever heard. So uh, well done. And if people want to reach out, what's the best place for them to reach out? Um, well, we, we've got um, all that at the FA or or uh, on Twitter. You know, we're trying to get things out on Twitter as well. Um, what's the best way? I don't know. You, you're better at people reaching you and getting getting all that than I am probably. Yeah, I'll pass people on, but you're on Twitter and you're pretty amenable. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. mate, look, thank you so much. It's been an absolute pleasure. And, uh, mate, have an awesome day and we'll catch up soon. Good. Great to speak to you, Rusty. Cheers, mate.